Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. Starting Points goes through the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation, including all the major sections of the Bible. It's designed to be a starting or a restarting point to any person's reading, studying, engaging with, wrestling with the Bible, which we believe to be the very Word of God. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And today we're going to be talking about the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet who was born in the last days of Israel before it was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. Now, when I say Israel, what I really should say is the southern kingdom of Judah. You see, Israel had been divided into split north and south. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. Only the southern kingdom of Judah remained. And Ezekiel was born in those last days of freedom, so-called, because while they were free politically or nationally, they were deep in the bondages of sin. It's interesting to me that while there is debate about who wrote Isaiah, there is not debate about who wrote Ezekiel. It's generally agreed that Ezekiel wrote Ezekiel. Uh, Now, he wrote at different times, and so the first seven chapters are a message to a partially defeated people. Uh, The first seven chapters, he is writing to the people, and only some have been conquered. You see, in uh, 605 BC, Jerusalem was attacked and nobility were taken away as captives and taken to Babylon. That's when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those that we will study about in the book of Daniel, they were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon and uh, put to the king's service. And eight, seven, eight years later, about uh, 597 BC, Jerusalem was attacked again. You see, uh, the, the the king in Jerusalem was supposed to do what the king in Babylon wanted, and he didn't. So they attacked him again, and they ransacked the temple. And all the treasures that are talked about at the end of the book of Daniel that were taken from the temple were taken then. And this is most likely the time when Ezekiel was writing his first seven chapters. They were partially defeated. Uh, You know, the temple had been ransacked, Jerusalem had been conquered twice in less than 10 years. They were being held captive there, but they weren't fully defeated. There was still a nation of Judah, and Jerusalem was still the capital. There was still a king of the line of David ruling in Jerusalem. And so he's writing to them because they think, you know what? We're here for a little while, but God's going to bring us back. Even though the prophet Jeremiah had told them, you will be in captivity for 70 years. For each year that you did not let the land rest, you will be in captivity. That's an interesting fact. There was this idea that every seven years, the people were supposed to not actively farm. If you had a field for six years, you planted, you, you, know, you plowed, you did all of those things. And in the seventh year, you were just supposed to let it be. And whatever crops produced naturally in that seventh year, year you ate, but you understood that you also had to save up, you know, from years one through six, because in that seventh year, you would have a low season. You understood that, you know, from years one through six, you would harvest, you would harvest, and that's where you build up stores of grain and and dried things. And then in that seventh year, you let the land go and whatever 
crops come up naturally, you can harvest, but you are not supposed to actively farm. And the reason was the health of the soil. Now, they didn't know that. They were living in faith that this was the right thing to do. And we now know about crop rotation, and we now know and understand that this is actually a very healthy thing to do for soil, and that uh, we don't need to do that anymore because we have, you know, fertilizers and nutrients to restore health to the soil. But if you over-farm, just like if you over-hunt or you overfish, then you deplete your ability to have a sustainable life, you know, in an agrarian culture. So the plagues and the um, the uh, the crop failures and the things that that uh, were common in the nations around them would not have been common in Israel if they had just followed these things. But they hadn't for hundreds of years. And so God said, hey, for every year that you disobeyed my command, I will have you in captivity. Now, you might say, that seems kind of petty. They had a disagreement about farm practices, God. This doesn't like, they, it's, what about child sacrifice? That was going on. What about um, violence and corruption? And these are things that we've talked about in previous uh, episodes of the Starting Points podcast. Why aren't those, th- those things the reason they're in captivity? I think it's all of the above. Why were they in captivity? They were in captivity because they had rejected God and they had abandoned the covenant God had made with the people and they were living an act of rebellion. The failure to recognize the year of rest, that Sabbath year, is a tangible point, a a quantifiable metric by which God can say, this is how long you will be there and this is why. How do you... How do you quantify corruption? How do you quantify violence? How do you quantify idolatry? But for every year that you didn't let the land rest, 70 in total, you will sit in captivity and remember that I am your God. So uh, that's why the first seven chapters, he's speaking to a partially defeated people. They think they're going to go back to Jerusalem. They think they're going to go. And you know what? God, God's going to get us out of this. I, we're the people of God and, and he's going to get us out of this. And he, Ezekiel saying, no, that's not what's going to happen. God's told us this. Then after chapter seven, that's when, uh, the Southern kingdom of Judah is fully conquered. Everyone's taken into captivity. And then chapter eight through 24, his message is to a fully conquered people. Hey, this is why we're here. This is what's happened to us. And then from chapter 25 to 32, uh, Elijah gives a message to the nations that surrounded Israel and Judah. And I think that's something Christians need to be very aware of. Are we speaking to believers or non-believers? Are we speaking to the world around us or are we speaking to the church world within us? And sometimes people have this weird thing where they don't understand the difference between the two. They'll go around and they're like, I can't believe this is happening. And it's like, really? You're shocked that people that don't believe in Jesus are acting like people that don't believe in Jesus? Or they don't have a recognition of what's going on internally. And so as Daniel, or sorry, not Daniel, Ezekiel was uh, proclaiming in first seven chapters to a partially defeated people and then the next eight through 24 to a fully conquered people, it's that idea that we have to recognize who our audience is, who we're talking to. I speak differently if somebody professes to be a believer than somebody who doesn't. I speak differently to somebody who's 
in my family to somebody who's not. I speak differently to somebody who's my child than to somebody who's not. But oftentimes people don't seem to have an awareness of their audience and then they act like everybody should act like a believer or that believers should act just like the rest of the world or what have you. And you need to have an awareness of who you're speaking to and who your message is to. Ezekiel speaking to a partially defeated people, a fully conquered people, a message to the nations around, which is different than Israel. And then in uh, chapter 33 through 48, he has a message of God's coming kingdom. Hope. We are in exile right now, but there will come a day where God will establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. And of that kingdom, there will be no end. Interestingly, uh, during this time, uh, the first seven chapters, Psalm 137 was written. It's one of the latest Psalms to have been written. And it describes how the people were feeling that they were being held along this river Kabar, which actually is not a river. They didn't know that. They weren't from the area. It's actually a sort of a canal that's a sh uh, offshoot of the Euphrates River. But as they were there by the shore, their, their jailers, their, their guards said, sing songs for us, entertain us, make us laugh. And they were like, how can we sing joy, songs of joy? How can we try to entertain you when we're grieving what's happened? I want to read that psalm right now. Psalm 137 says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. We remembered Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. We just put our music away. We couldn't even get ourselves in the mood to play. For there our captors asked us to sing songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Oh, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. My, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Now you might say, oh, that sounds harsh. But what's the human story? In Ezekiel, a lot of the human story is trauma and grief. Ezekiel and those with him would have been beaten, would have been mistreated, would have been malnourished. It's not unreasonable to think that they had been abused physically, emotionally, and sexually. You're saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe that there is a, a, a psalm that talks about dashing infants against the rocks. You try telling that to somebody who's just been seized by conquerors, taken from their home, beaten, malnourished, raped. Maybe they watched their own infants be dashed against the rocks. You try telling that to somebody. The human story in Ezekiel, people think it's about prophecy and about weird things that happen. And there's some weird things that happen, but it's about trauma and grief and processing. And Ezekiel's in an interesting place. See, Ezekiel was most likely a priest. And he trained his life. There's disagreement about when uh, Ezekiel, how old he was when it was written. You know, some people think he might have been as young as 13. Uh, others think he was about 30 years old. I tend to think he was about 30 years old for a few reasons. However, I have no trouble with the idea that God used a 13-year-old to write part of the Bible. No trouble with that whatsoever. But however old he was, he had been trained to be a priest. But what can a priest do when there's no temple, when there's no sacrifice? And God shifted him from priest to prophet. He had a new role to play. 
And there are people who have this idea about this is what I'm going to do. This is what God has for me. And then something happens, a trauma happens, a crisis happens, and you think, well, what, what do I do now? And like Ezekiel, God moves us from one role into another, one that we did not expect. Now, the second question we always ask on this podcast is, what are the landmines? What are the controversies? Ezekiel is full of weird stuff. And I was looking over all of the weird, controversial, debated things in Ezekiel, and I came to this conclusion that they're kind of divided into three main categories. There's things that are culturally weird stuff. There's things that are God telling people to do weird stuff, and there's just mysterious weird stuff. So culturally weird stuff is things that are, that are going on within the, the narrative of the book that we in 2023 modern Western America, we have trouble processing what is happening there. Then there's God telling Ezekiel to do weird stuff. And sometimes God tells people to do things that are odd or weird because he's trying to make a point. Like case in point. Remember I said that the first seven chapters are to a partially defeated people? God told Ezekiel, I want you to build a little model of the city of Jerusalem. Basically build a sandcastle and pretend that's Jerusalem and then make little fortifications like it's under siege, which it, which it had been twice in the last decade. And it would be one time more when it's finally destroyed. And God tells him to play army men, basically, in front of the people. Well, my kids would love that, right? <laughs> Set up little forts and soldiers and all that stuff. And then he's supposed to lay on his side. And it says you're supposed to drape the sins of the people across you. And I don't know what that means. If that's like figurative for the message he's going to speak. If he literally was just writing down idolatry, violence, greed, corruption, adultery, whatever he was writing down. And he drapes it across himself. And I, you know, whether it's, it's figurative or literally, and he lays there on his side for a number of years with this like play set in front of him. And anytime somebody walks by, they, hey, that's what's going to happen to Jerusalem. That's God telling him to do weird stuff. It's not a cultural thing because that wasn't a normal thing. Even in his culture, it was God telling him to do weird stuff so that something could happen. You know, I, I know people that do weird things sometimes. And I don't mean weird in a bad way, just like you wouldn't think. Uh, you know, one of my pastors growing up is taking a group of kids like he has for the last 10 years. He's taking them to Europe and they're going to do like jazz and swing music and it gets a crowd going and then somebody preaches a gospel message. That's weird, but that's what God's called them to do. And then there's mysterious weird stuff. Somebody once said that the final few chapters in Ezekiel are some of the hardest to understand. Um, people that I respect greatly just kind of say, your guess is as good as mine. There are many things in Ezekiel that we do not understand, especially in the last several chapters when he describes the coming kingdom of God. <clears throat> so there is culturally weird stuff. Like there's a uh, part of that whole thing where he's laying down on his side and there's the, you know, sandcastle Jerusalem. Is he supposed to cook off of a fire made with manure? Now we don't cook with manure, although uh, uh, poop f as a fuel has been used, you know, in cultures all over the world, you know, even our own for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you're out on the prairie, you know, you find those like buffalo 
you know, puckies and you can use those to cook with. Like that's not crazy. It's just culturally weird to us. God telling him to do weird stuff that happens. And then mysterious weird stuff that we don't understand. God transports Ezekiel in a vision to see what's currently happening in Jerusalem. God shows Ezekiel visions of the future and the kingdom of heaven. And it's just, we have a hard time with it. Now, the, the last question that we always ask is where is Jesus seen? Well, after, you know, chapter 33, Ezekiel begins to proclaim a message of hope. In chapter 34, it speaks about God doing himself what the humans failed to do. The kings failed, the priests failed, the people failed, but God will do it. And through Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king, it will be accomplished. In Ezekiel 37, verse 27, and this is quoted, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, God says, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the way that that happens is through the work of Jesus Christ. As he died for our sins, as he rose from the dead three days later, victorious over sin and death. As you want to know where Jesus is seen, he is seen there in this promise that we will be with God and he will be our God. We will be his people. We will dwell with him. As we studied recently in the end of the book of the Revelation, Ezekiel says the same thing. There will come a day and that day, Ezekiel didn't understand it, but we know that that day happens because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we're so thankful that we know him. My name's Adam. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. You can Search Faith on Hill on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you'll find all of our online content. You just have to like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person, as we study the Bible together. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Starting Points.